Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they may go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us. We need your help to hear what you want to say to us. So help us now to quiet our hearts. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see just how good it is that you are alive. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to add my welcome to Daniel's. Welcome here. He is risen. I also want to welcome the kids this morning. Kids, you get to hang out with us, which is very special and very fun. I also want to tell you, kids listening here, that I'm going to ask some questions throughout this morning. So you can't kind of glaze over. You can't think about what snacks or what candy is waiting for you at home. You need to, for at least 15, maybe 20 minutes, just pay attention to what we're talking about because I got questions for you. Okay, kids? Can I hear you, kids? Yeah. Oh, kids, I, kids, I can't hear you. All right, let's, let's start this morning by seeing, well, actually, I have a question for you, kids. Ready? Are you ready? How many of you kids have ever been, without yelling, putting up your hand, have ever been surprised before? That's it? Who's been surprised before? Big kids and little kids. Yeah, we've all been surprised before, right? Well, this morning, we just heard a surprising story from the Gospel of Mark, didn't we? And the surprises we heard this morning aren't the sad kind. You know, like, surprise, it's time to go to bed. Or like, surprise, there's no summer vacation this year. Although for some adults, that might not be the sad kind of surprise. There's a happy surprise. No, no, the surprises we hear this morning, the thing we expect to happen doesn't happen and something better happens in our story. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to walk through Mark's account of the resurrection and want us to just notice three surprises. Three very important, very big surprises. Okay, kids? 
We're in Mark chapter 16, 1 to 8. I was told by my children to go slow today because I go too fast. So Mark 16, verse 1 to 8. If you have your Bible, kids, I'll give you a moment to find that. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, sorry, 1 through 6 right now. Ready? I'm going to give you a moment. There we read, Mark writes, Mark 16, verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, the first surprise this morning, the surprise which gives way to all other surprises, is that Jesus' body is not where it's supposed to be. It's not where it's supposed to be. I don't know if you've been to a funeral before that's an open casket and there's just no body uh, in, in, in the casket. That would be surprising, right? But I want to take us back and see what happened before this resurrection account in chapter 16. See, before our passage this morning, kids, what we celebrated on Good Friday, strange as it sounds, is a crucifixion of Jesus. And then we read in uh, verse 42 of Mark 15 this. Ready? We're still reading the story, kids. It'll be on the screen behind me. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have been dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him, this is Jesus, in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. And then look at verse 47. Look at verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Mark makes it so clear for us. Jesus, at this point in the story, is, is dead, dead. Like dead, dead. Not kind of dead, not injured, not wounded, not sleeping. He's dead, dead. I don't know if you noticed, maybe you did, the level of historical detail Mark is giving. He tells us the day and the time. It was Friday, early evening. He gives us a name and a bit of a bio on the man who took Jesus down, this Joseph of Arimathea. Mark gives us some procedural insight here, right? Joseph of Arimathea boldly associates himself with a man who's just been crucified for, for treason. And Joseph says, I'm with him. I'll take his body down. He asks Pilate for the body. Pilate then consults the killing professionals, and the killing professionals say, yep, he's dead. Jesus, Mark wants us to see, at this point in the story, is dead, dead. Mark goes on to describe what kind of fabric Jesus was wrapped in, describes his tomb, and names for us eyewitnesses who saw where he was laid. Again, Jesus, at this moment in the story, is dead, dead. 
which makes our reading, what we heard Tom read for us this morning, so remarkable. When the angel matter-of-factly says to the women, look at verse 6 of our reading this morning, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And then look at verse 6, the end of it. See the place where they laid him. How did Mark 15, 47 end? They saw where he was laid. Do you see that? The same woman who saw where Jesus was laid as a dead man are now being invited to see the bench that Jesus had left as a risen one. Do you see that? That counts as a surprise, doesn't it? I think so. Jesus of Nazareth, the angel tells us, who was crucified has risen. Has risen. Now there's no hint I want to be clear, in the eyewitness testimony of the Gospels, that this resurrection is merely spiritual, right? You might have heard at some point that Jesus has risen in our hearts. That's nonsense. Uh, You might have heard someone say, Jesus is alive to me. That's nonsense. That's spiritual gobbledygook, if we will. The, the, The eyewitness testimony is clear. Jesus is alive And not in part, not kind of, not in a spiritual way, but just as he bodily died, he's been bodily risen. He's bodily alive. And Jesus' resurrection is either a historical fact or not. Either it happened or it didn't. And to try to force it into some inspiring myth for our encouragement or spiritualize it so that we feel better about ourselves is to miss the point of the earliest eyewitnesses. Jesus was dead and now is alive. The first surprise, ready kids? The first surprise this morning is a surprise of amazing power. Amazing power. A few decades after Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4, for he, that's Jesus, was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. And then Paul adds, for we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Whatever weakness we experience in this life, whether persecution or hardship, suffering or rejection, the promise of God's surprising power is that for those who are in Jesus, there is coming a day where we too will be like Jesus, raised in power. Raised in power. And before we move on, notice there's a surprise within the surprise. Kids, have you ever had a a kinder surprise before? Some of you have had my boys nice and loud. Yeah. Yeah. You know that there's a chocolate egg, but that inside there's like a surprise inside that surprise. Well, there's a surprise in the surprise in our story this morning. Look at this. Kids, I have a question for you. Who were the first people to hear about Jesus' resurrection? Who were the first people to hear about the empty tomb? So, Mary Magdalene. Yeah, Gracie? Mary? Yeah, it it was the women, right? The the women were the first people to hear about Jesus' resurrection. And I saw this, we we saw this a few weeks ago when we were in 1 Corinthians 15. But let me just remind us this morning that in the first century context, if you want someone to believe your story, you do not entrust it to women. This didn't happen. Culturally speaking, 
They were not reliable. And so Rebecca McLaughlin, she's a, a biblical teacher, she says this, there is no way the gospel writers would have chosen women as key witnesses in a fabricated story. That would be like resting a vital legal claim on the testimony of a few kids. Friends, Jesus is alive. Really, truly, powerfully alive. That's the first surprise this morning. Let's keep on going. Look back at your story. Look at verse 5 with me. We're going to skip down then to verse 8. Kids, we're still in Mark 16. Ready? And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Did you see that? They were alarmed. Now look at verse 8 with me. And, and they, th these women, went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now maybe you're not surprised by how surprised these women are. They are very surprised. In fact, it's more than that. That word alarm that we see there twice is only found here in the New Testament. It's a word that means uh, strong fear and agitation. Then as they're fleeing from the tomb, right, like running away, Mark says, trembling and astonishment seize them. Their, their whole body is processing the shock of what they're experiencing. And then, for good measure, how does Mark end his gospel? He says this, for they were afraid. They were afraid. Now, we could, we could, we could chalk all this up to the women seeing the empty bench where Jesus' body once was. We could even chalk up this surprise and this fear and this astonishment to the women encountering an angel, right? Who here would be afraid if they saw an angel? Me. I, I'd, be, I'd be afraid. Now, while we could chalk it up to those two things, I actually think, kids, listen in here. I actually think something more terrifying is happening in our passage. Something more terrifying. And this more terrifying thing is actually the reason why Jesus' resurrection matters. Let me show you. See, if we were reading Mark's gospel, Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection shouldn't really be a surprise to us. Jesus talks about it all the time. Kids, have, have this ever happened to you where your parents have been talking to you? Be like, I told you this. This is the 40th time. Has, has that ever happened to you before, kids? It never happens in my house, but maybe in your house. Right? Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again for 15 chapters, time after time after time. So, for example, in Mark 9, 31, Jesus said this, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, listen, look there with me, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Look at that, that, that title there, the, the Son of Man. Do you see that, kids? The Son of Man. Now, 13 times in Mark's gospel, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And you might think, well, that sounds like Jesus, with that title, is really emphasizing his humanity, that he was a man like us. Actually, Jesus is doing the opposite with that title. 
See, in calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? You remember that story? Chapter 7, where Daniel sees a vision of the Son of Man. Now, we don't have time to go to Daniel 7 this morning. Got a lot of important things to do. But let me summarize it for us. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man is the long-awaited ruler, the hope of Jewish expectations, the eternal king who will bring all tyranny to an end. And Jesus is saying in Mark's gospel, that's me. That's me. He's saying that's me. And and to give you the proof, what's going to happen is I'm going to be killed, and then in three days, I will rise. See, listen kids. Listen big kids. I don't think it's the angel or the empty tomb that has these women so terrified. I think it's what these things reveal about Jesus's true identity. Jesus is the son of man, which means His resurrection is not only surprising, but the beginning of God's kingdom breaking into the world. Breaking into the world. Their world, these women realize, maybe just in part, our world is about to change and has changed. And then from the perspective of the Bible, these women are living at the hinge point of human history. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? How overwhelming that would be? That's a whole body kind of shocking experience. That's what's going on in Mark 16. See, from now on, the kingdom of God will advance far beyond the tomb, eventually coming to touch every corner of the globe. The go and tell command from the angel will go from these women to the apostles. Then from the apostles, the gospel will spread to every corner of the globe. And as it spreads... People are not just getting information about Jesus. No, transformation is happening. People are being reborn, made new. There's been a resurrection movement. And eventually, kids listen, this is so important, this coming kingdom will crescendo, will culminate at the end with the Son of Man. This is Mark 8. The Son of Man coming in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We can think of it like this. Kids, do I have your eyes? Do I have your ears? Yeah? Got you? A few weeks ago, I was hiking, and some of you were with me, uh, at the foot of Mount Robson. So we were hiking along. We were hiking along, and we had to stop, right? Every once in a while, we had to stop. Because we had come up to what's called an avalanche chute. And so you could see down to the right was a river, but you could look all the way up the landscape and see to the very top of the mountain, right? And the avalanche had carved like a river of snow through the landscape and the trees were gone. There was nothing there, just a clear path all the way up to the top of the mountain. Now, I wouldn't recommend adults standing in an avalanche chute in the spring and looking up at its wonder and its beauty. But it's awe-inspiring. It's a phenomenal thing to behold. See, the kingdom of God is like an avalanche. It's like an avalanche, kids. It's like an avalanche. And the snowball that has led to the powerful, unstoppable river of snow rushing down the mountain is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
this unstoppable movement of the gospel. See, the second surprise, we have to see this. First is one of power. The second surprise this morning is a surprise of hope. It's a surprise of hope that things will not always be like this, that God is doing something. In a moment, in a moment, we're going to listen to some baptism testimonies. It's going to be awesome. And while I want you to hear the individual stories that are being told, I want you to also encourage you to have an ear for the big story these little stories are wrapped up in. And what you'll hear, if you have ears to hear it, is that there is a God who pursues us, who comes after us, who meets us in dreams, in hospital hallways, or even when we're on the other side of the world. And that God is drawing us to his son, Jesus. He is by his spirit transforming us, transforming what we love, transforming what we live for. Like an unstoppable avalanche rolling through history and time, God's kingdom is moving and saving and rescuing and redeeming and healing and restoring and resurrecting people like you and me. But maybe you've come this morning and, and you don't, think that's true. Maybe, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you think Jesus rose for spiritual people. Maybe you think Easter is for good people. And if that's you this morning, don't tune out. I want to take you to my last and favorite surprise this morning. Look at Mark 16, verse 7. Look at your Bibles, kids, if you have them. Look with me, Mark 16, verse 7. There it says this. The angel says to the woman, but go... Tell his disciples, and listen, do you see that? And Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Jesus, just as he told you. Now, there are times when the Bible says something that at first glance you're like, that doesn't need to be there. <coughs> that doesn't need to be there. That seems superfluous. It doesn't seem to add anything, right? And, and this seems to be one of those occasions, right? Can you put it back on the screen? In Mark 16, verse 7, the angel says, Go, disciples, right? Tell the disciples and Peter. Well, well Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. So, so, so why is that there? Why does he say this? Why do the woman need to be specifically instructed to tell Peter as well? And here's why. And we heard it in our story this morning. The last time Peter was mentioned in Mark's gospel was two chapters ago. Which is strange, especially in Mark's gospel, because Peter's name is all over Mark's gospel. He's being mentioned all the time, but it's been missing for two chapters. And it's for a good reason. The last time we saw Peter, he was in a courtyard. And there, he wasn't following Jesus <coughs> or sitting under his teaching no, Peter was what, kids? What was Peter doing in the courtyard the night of Jesus' trial? He was denying Jesus, right? He was saying no to Jesus. In fact, Peter was literally cursing Jesus. Look with me. Last reading, Mark 14. We're almost done. Verse 66. This was during Jesus' trial right before he was crucified. Look at this with me. I'm going to read this. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, 
She looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out in the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began, and then our text says, and you see it on the screen, to invoke a curse on himself. Now, I don't know if it's just because our translators don't have the the gumption or or the bravery, and and it wasn't in our reading either, but those words on himself are, are not in our original Greek text. Essentially what it says, he began to curse. Who? Jesus. Peter is cursing Jesus. He's cursing Jesus. And he begins to swear an oath, saying this, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So listen, last surprise. The women, they come to the empty tomb And what does the messenger from heaven say? Make sure you tell Peter to come to Galilee as well. Make sure you tell Peter to come see Jesus also. And I just want to make sure that we understand what the angel is saying. See, in Mark 8, Peter has positioned himself in such opposition to Jesus' ministry that Jesus calls Peter a worker of Satan. And then in Mark 14... Peter is literally cursing Jesus during Jesus' greatest hour of need. And still, still Christ City, Peter's name is on the lips of the angel because ultimately Peter's name is on the lips of Jesus himself. See, Jesus, despite all that Peter has done, is still calling Peter to himself. The third surprise is not one of power. It's not one of hope. It's one of grace. One of amazing grace. So let me say this as we close. It does not matter how you came this morning. Let me say that again. It does not matter how you came this morning. Maybe you came cursing Jesus or cursing that follower of Jesus who brought you and woke you up early this morning, right? I've been there. Maybe you came denying Jesus. You once thought about following him. You even did follow him for a bit, but you've since turned your back on him. Or or maybe this morning you're just struggling in your walk with Jesus. It's just hard. There's hard things happening in here and out there. Maybe you've never thought about Jesus until this very moment. The angel's words in Mark 16 remind us that if Jesus could call a man like Peter to himself. Despite all that he had done, Jesus could and Jesus does call people like you and me to himself. Sinners like you and me to himself. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to play a video and you're going to hear 12 stories, 12 stories of Jesus calling people to himself. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And it's not because these people were seeking Jesus. It's not because these people were good enough. It's not because these people were wise enough. No, simply because Jesus loves them, he has called them to himself.
My life before Jesus was really this feeling of searching for some kind of meaning in life, really feeling lost, not having any sort of figure that I could look up to, and really just a bad outlook on myself and, and life in general. I had a dream where God spoke to me and he said that I'm going to show you a path, but it's up to you what you do with that. I woke up that morning and had this overwhelming urge to get my hands on a Bible. I really couldn't believe it. It was a bit out of character because throughout my whole life I had sort of a bad look on Christianity and I ended up downloading the Bible. I read the book of Matthew and that book was giving me so many answers. I was feeling these things that I was longing for in life just getting answered in this peace in my heart. I really couldn't believe it. Shortly after that, a couple days later, I go to Christ City to church. That morning, uh, I was just met with overwhelming love from everybody at the church. There was a few coincidences happening. Some text that was I was obsessed over was appearing on the projector. But most of all, I felt love in my heart that was coming from God for the first time ever. And in that moment, I knew that God existed. It was a love like I've never felt before. Life now, I mean, it's just been an incredible journey. I find that every single week, almost every single day, there's something new that God is showing me. And now I have this feeling that, hey, if God can forgive me, maybe I can forgive others as well. And maybe if God can love me, maybe I can love others as well. So I want to be baptized uh, to really symbolize my old self dying and the new self that emerged through God's love is here now to stay. And so the baptism I feel like symbolizes that perfectly. And I, I just want to proclaim to the world that God is real and God does love every single one of you. And if you are going to knock at the door, he will let you in. I didn't grow up in a Christian family and I didn't have any Christian friends so I didn't know God and I didn't know how to have a relationship with God. I really felt like I was just in control of my own destiny. If I worked hard I would get things done but also I just sometimes felt like I needed you know someone but I didn't know who to turn to. I came to Christ at an Alpha session, specifically on the session for prayer. You know, at that time when I was attending Alpha, my husband and I had been trying to have a baby for at least two years, and it was really tough on our marriage, and it was tough on my friendships um, and all aspects of my life. It was just too much for me to bear, so at that session that evening, I said a prayer to God, and I asked Him to forgive my sins, that I would trust in Him, and you know, I would just give up the control. And I immediately just felt this weight lifted off my shoulders and um, I've been following Christ ever since. 10 months after I said the prayer at the Alpha session, um, we were blessed with our baby. We got news that I was pregnant. My son is now three years old and I just know that God is watching out for our family and I'm, I feel really blessed. I want to be baptized because I want to declare my faith in Jesus Christ because He gave up His life for me to have eternal hope. And I want to devote and commit my life for Christ. I grew up in a Christian home and I've always known about Jesus. I've always like believed in Him. I just never wanted to like really like know Him and really like be a Christian. It was over a long period of time that I that I decided I wanted to follow Jesus. It was mostly when I was moving to Vancouver. I really needed somebody to trust and I needed to pray to him. 
like because I needed help in that in that time. I really want to know more about him, and I feel him in me, like helping me through hard times and knowing what to do in certain situations. I want to be baptized because I want to share with everybody that I am a Christian, and I want to obey God's commands by being baptized because Jesus is King. Before uh, knowing about Jesus personally, uh, my life was uh, sinful and I was not honest with uh, lots of things. I was not taught in a proper way and I had lots of questions in my mind. I didn't get chance to uh, get them clarified and I just left as it is. And I was a namesake Christian in my past. Later, I don't know uh, when and exactly how I changed, but it was gradually changed. I came into Christ. After coming to Canada, uh, here I got a chance uh, to understand the Bible in a correct way through Christ's city. Now I place Jesus Christ uh, first in all my decisions or whatever I do for my family. Now I have hope for the future and I feel like uh, He is walking with me in every single day. I was already baptized when I was a baby, but now I want to proclaim myself that uh, Jesus Christ is the Lord and He is my Savior. Before I had a personal relationship with Jesus, I would always struggle to listen to my parents and I would always play with my brothers and I would always want the nearest toy, but I would never be fulfilled. A few years ago, I went to a weekly Bible school called Awana. They would always take time out of their day to tell you about how much God loved you and what he has done for us. I could feel God calling me to be a part of his kingdom so one day, they asked me if I wanted to be forgiven, and I replied yes. So they prayed with me, and now I'm a Christian. Now that Jesus is with me, he has helped me sin less, and I have hope. I want to be baptized because I want to show others what Jesus has done for me, and to proclaim that everyone needs a personal relationship with him. I grew up in a Christian home but Jesus was more of a side thought and not really a big part of my life. I was more idolizing um, my friends and I didn't really think about Jesus or God or what he has done for me. In grade eight, I came to a Christian school where I learned that Jesus isn't just a side thought and that he is supposed to be the top priority and that he is my king and that he died for me on the cross. I definitely take more time to appreciate God and what He has done for me. And this leads me to be less anxious and worried so I can live more freely and be more at peace. I want to be baptized because I want to submit my whole life to Jesus and tell the whole world that Jesus is God and that Jesus is King. My life back when I was my teenage years, I hung with all sorts of different people, all sorts of different groups. But the one main thing is that I never felt like I fit into any of those groups. I struggled with um, my identity, my purpose, um, never felt I was good enough. In 2006, I met Janie and she walked with God ever since she was born. The idea of accepting Christ was floating in my mind for the longest time, but it wasn't until I met her that that idea was right in front of my face. So by God's grace, I was, my work put me on an eight month business trip 
uh, went to a church there, uh, met up with the pastor, and I realized that I was trying to build up myself to a point where um, God would be pleased with me in order for me to accept Christ, but I realized that that was not the case. And so it was there that the pastor prayed with me and I accepted Christ in faith. Everything that I do uh, in, in life for God is a response to what He has already done for me, even though I don't deserve it. And I think because of that, there's a, there's a new joy inside of me that I want to just express. And one of the ways to do that is through baptism. Um, it's a celebration of what Christ has done for me, and that's something that I probably should have done a long time ago in my life, but you know, it's about time that I did it now. And yeah, I just want to share that with everyone. I grew up in a Christian home, but I was never really passionate about the Lord or my faith. During the COVID-19 pandemic, I was at home and things were pretty stressful and a lot of uncertainty in the world. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I think I should just turn to Jesus. And I started reading my Bible every day and started encouraging my family to keep reading every day as a family together at the dinner table. And it just started to become a great habit. And I started to have a great passion for Jesus and God. I've just been continually reminded of his presence and what he's done in my life. And I want to keep him at the center of my life. I want to be baptized because I want to proclaim my faith and put all my trust in the Lord as I take the next step in my life. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I kind of just seeked happiness and relationships because I felt like I could find happiness on my own and also really like to control how things were. So I like to lose sleep over planning ABC. I want to get this done in a certain timeline. And so yeah, I think I went through that cycle on over and over and again and just constantly trying to find happiness. It wasn't until I met my husband, boyfriend at the time, asked me to go to church with him, and so we attended uh, Westside together. But at the time, I don't think I was going for the right reasons. I was really just going because he had asked me to go. Um, him and I hit a rough patch in our relationship, and I completely lost control. I was upset, and I made an attempt um, on my life. and. I think at that point I realized I had lost control and I asked my parents to take me to the hospitals just so I could get the help I needed. So it was when I was checking in, waiting in the hallway, for some reason I just had the sense that I needed to read the Bible. It was really just like God was the only one who could help me. And so after I was discharged, I started going to church with my friend and I, th I think the messages just hit differently at that time. I was really connecting to the sermons more, and I just think over that process, that's how I really came to know Christ. Life now coming to Jesus, I still like to control my life, but I've come to realize that God's really the one in control. It's His perfect plan, His timing, His way, and I just have to trust that He's always with me. I can be anxious about anything, but He's still walking side by side with me along the way. I want to be baptized because I want to declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's the one who saved me through his merits, not my own, and that I'll be walking with him for the rest of my life. So I grew up in a Christian home with good Christian parents, uh, going to a Christian school and uh, going to church regularly. And Christianity felt like a set of rules and obligations to me. And I decided that I didn't want that as part of my life anymore. 
So when I was 30, I decided to take a trip around the world to find myself. And uh, what I didn't expect was that I would find God as well. Uh, when I was in Thailand, um, I experienced firsthand uh, from talking to refugees from Burma, the suffering that they had to go through. And I think that was the start of a process of realizing that God was bigger than I thought he was, and that God was more than just rules and responsibilities. And that opened my eyes to what a world with Christ should, would really look like for me. Since coming back to Christ, I've realized the joy that it is to participate in Christ's body, to be part of his church. Life with Christ now is meaningful, deep, and rich. And I can't imagine now living without him in my life. And today, I want to get baptized to celebrate um, who God is, uh, what he means to me, and just to honor him and worship him for all that he is. I have grown up in a Christian home and they've taught me about Jesus and so as long as I can remember I followed him. Life with Jesus feels fun and exciting and wonderful to learn more about him and find out more ways to love him. My favorite verse is Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 to 13 because it makes me think of how strong and powerful he is. And the verse is, I looked up and I saw a white horse, and behold, the one on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows by himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I love Jesus because he died and rose for me, and he loves me, and because you know, he's so truthful and because whenever you believe in him, you don't have to be afraid of anything that's gonna happen. I wanna be baptized because I wanna tell the church that I believe in Jesus and that I commit my life to Jesus and that he's the savior of my life.